I don't know if you heard Rob's prayer, but he said coming here is more than just being here for two hours in a sanctuary. So I want you to know we still got another hour and 15 minutes to go. But, uh, oh, I heard that. I heard somebody say thanks, Rob. So uh, just for that, we're going to be here for another three hours. So get, get settled in, all right? So, but uh, we continue our series uh, this morning on the IMs, and uh, we come to this, the, uh, the third one, and we'll talk a little bit about that in just a few moments. But, but to get us going this morning, I thought I'd take a few moments and see if you could figure out the place that I'm talking about with the following with the following statistics. And if, when you know it, let me just simply raise your hand and, and say it. And, and if you're right, you win nothing but bragging rights, all right? So here we go. This place has 50 certified scuba divers as part of the work crew. This place purchases over 500 dustpans a year. Nobody? Okay. 4.1 million pounds of cardboard are recycled each year by this place. Still nothing? Who said Disneyland? Disneyland would be a correct answer. Congratulations, we now can get done in less than three hours. All right, so, so that's a good thing. So, so 4.1 million pounds of cardboard. 3.2 million servings of ice cream are served up every single year at this place. More than 600 million people have visited Disneyland since it opened in 1955. More than 500 different types of professions and skills are required, are represented, I should say, among their work crew. 44,000 people visit Disneyland every single day. The operating cost for one day that Disneyland incurs is $3.25 million for one day of operation. And the way they cover their cost is by charging everybody at least $100 to come in. The reason why I'm bringing this up is that you can do all these different statistics. And, and Disneyland is known as the happiest place on earth. It's a phrase that I found myself muttering over and over again when we were there a number of years ago when Heidi and Stephanie were younger and I was standing in line for 45 minutes. I said, I'm at the happiest place on earth. I could not think of any place I'd rather be than the happiest place on earth while I'm standing here in this line. But they advertise all these things. Disneyland is a phenomenal, a phenomenal experience. From beginning to end, they know what they're doing. There's this incredible time that families have there. But to get into Disneyland, to get into the happiest place on earth, you must go through a gate. You must go through, in essence, a door for admission. We read these words in John chapter 10, starting at verse 7. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and they will go out and they will find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. 
Father, we pray now as we come to this time of looking at your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes that we may see, open our ears that we may hear, open our minds that we may understand, and open our hearts that we would be transformed because of all that goes into you, Lord Jesus, being the gate. Lord, may no one hear anything I say, but may they only hear what it is that the Holy Spirit wants them to hear. And in all of this, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would be glorified, the one who is the gate. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. It's some kind of title that Jesus Christ gives himself. Of all the different I am's that we have, I find this one to be one of the more shall I say, unglamorous ones. If you're hungry, Jesus Christ is the bread of life. If you're in the dark, Jesus Christ is the light of the world. If you're wondering if anyone truly cares about you, Jesus Christ is the good shepherd. If you are directionally challenged, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. If you have questions about post-death, Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. If you find yourself weakened, he claims and he is the vine that will provide nourishment. All these other I am's that Jesus Christ claims and and is throughout the Gospel of John, all of them are really good ones. Something that I say, wow, that's very appealing. Now granted, the vine, that's negligible or or argumentative maybe. We could say that, that doesn't seem to be all that attractive. But yet still, you can sense that there's something going on here when he makes this proclamation that he is the vine. But we come to this one. Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. I'm the gate. A gate, a door. Some of your translations may say door. But this title that I don't find all that glamorous is very consistent with who Jesus Christ is. Listen to what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2. He says this, In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not, equ- did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. It's an incredibly humble title for the most humble one who has ever walked the face of this earth. Paul says that even though Jesus Christ was fully God, Jesus Christ decided to humble himself, empty himself, so that he would be the chief humble one. He would be the chief servant. So when Jesus Christ calls himself the gate, John Bosick, me, may very well have issues with how unglamorous this title is. But yet by him making that proclamation, it is simply consistent with who he is. The humble one. The one who was willing to call himself a gate. 
Now, a gate has two primary purposes, and the first is this: it is to protect those who are inside, who are inside on the other, on the inside of this particular gate or this door. There's a protection thing that goes on, and and. And also there's a prevention thing that goes on by him claiming to be the gate or the door. He's preventing things from the outside that could cause harm from coming in. A number of years ago, this church was tented, meaning that it needed to be fumigated because from what I understand, there were termites here. And, uh, and so this church was tented and, and, and people that were here back then have told me this. They said it looked like a big circus had come to town. Little did they know that every Sunday it seems like it's a big circus here, but that's okay. But they descend, they put the tent on, and, and as, they were, as I was hearing their story, I'm going, I wonder what that's like. Well, we got to experience that at our house earlier this year. That they put, that we had some termites in there, they came in, they tented our house, everything was fine, I got everything out of there that needed to be out. And then the crew chief said this to me. He said, sir... I want you to know we cannot guarantee that everything that is in your house right now will still be here after we're done tenting this. Because we have to open up all the windows and people, if they want, could come in and take what they want. Now the doors will be locked, but we want you to know that every window will be open. So what did I do? I slept for two nights in our bed. In the, no, in the, no, I did not leave the house. But what ended up happening was this. I'm sitting there thinking, what an odd thing to say to me. We have these termites in here right now. You're going to put this poisonous gas that's going to kill them. But yet, as I'm leaving, instead of saying, hey, we got this under control, you say to me, your house is going to be wide open to everybody. It was disconcerting. And as I was thinking about this particular message, Jesus Christ making the proclamation that he is a gate or a door, I thought about how often we forget that Jesus Christ is in the, is in the business of protecting us and of preventing bad things from coming in that will harm us. It hit me that day as, as I sat there and I looked at this guy thinking, I feel really uneasy right now. And Jesus Christ being the gate or the door. There are those times in our lives when we feel as if we're uneasy. There are those times in our lives when we wonder if we're going to be okay. But when Jesus Christ makes the proclamation that He is the door, He is the gate, know this, that no matter what happens, you're going to be okay. No, on a lighter issue, I thought, well, if somebody wants to come in here and battle these poisonous gases for stuff that we have that really isn't all that much, feel free, I guess. I think they're foolish if they do that. And by the way, everything was fine. Everything, from what I understand, was fine here when, when they dropped the tent and, and uh, removed the tent from here as well. But Jesus Christ has two jobs when he proclaims to be the gate or the door. One is to protect. One is to prevent And then he picks it up in verse 8 and he says this, All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. We read this verse and we say, Whoa, 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 what seems to be going on here? There were a whole lot of people that came before Jesus Christ and now he's saying that they're thieves or robbers. What's important is that we get context before we draw conclusions. 
Because there were a lot of people, a lot of godly individuals who came before Jesus Christ. And it presents to us a possible problem when we see this verse. We say, what's he talking about here? Because Abraham is considered the father of the faith. He wasn't a thief or a robber. We consider Moses, he was known as the great liberator. He was the person that God used to bring people out of Egypt. We read about King David, who was a man after God's own heart. We read through all the different prophets that God used to make bold proclamations that he was with them, that he had not abandoned them. And yet Jesus Christ says here, All who have come before me are thieves and robbers. Do you see the possible problem that we have? Because all these people that came before Jesus Christ, all these different individuals that I I just listed, among many other individuals who were incredibly godly, were not thieves and robbers. So what is Jesus talking about here? I invite you to turn perhaps only one page back to John chapter 9. To get the context of what Jesus is driving at here. Now notice, and keep in mind, Jesus is again talking to a group of Pharisees. But I invite you to look at this story that unfolds for us in John chapter 9 to give us a contextual understanding of what's going on here. Verse 1, as Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. I got to tell you, that's a little graphic for me. I mean, he spits and puts it on a person's eyes. That's, but you know what? That's good. He understands the importance of mud, I guess. Verse 7. Then he says this, Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came home, seeing his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. This man's born blind, never been able to see anything in his entire life. Jesus Christ comes up to him and and spits on the ground, makes mud, puts it on the guy's eyes, and then he says, go to the pool of Siloam. The man goes to the pool of Siloam. It's interesting. We don't know how he got there. We're going to assume that somebody helped escort him there. He gets to the pool of Siloam. He splashes water on on his face. He clears out his eyes, opens them, and for the first time, he can see the color blue. For the first time in his life, he can see the color brown. For the first time in his life, he can see this man or person who walked with him, and he could see the person's hand. For the first time in his life, he could see all these different things. He didn't know what they were. He simply saw shapes and figures and colors. His world went from complete darkness to now complete technicolor, HD TV, fascinating definition. He could see things as they really were. We come down to verse 
verse 13. They brought him to they brought they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been born blind. Now the day on which on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud in my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Skip ahead to verse 24. A second time they summoned the man in. Give glory to God by telling the truth. We know this man who healed you is a sinner. I love this response. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. The only thing I do know is that I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you, why do you want to hear it again? And I love this next question. Do you too want to become his disciples? Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he came from? Yet he opened my eyes? We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. I love this guy. I love this guy. The Pharisees who are supposed to be the great teachers, the great leaders, are now being lectured by a guy who just only hours prior to this couldn't see anything, who was considered an outcast, who was considered somewhat the scum of the earth because of his condition. And yet this man now lectures them. The Pharisees really received it well. Look at verse 34. To this the Pharisees replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. The thieves and the robbers are the ones who came before me. You read this and you say, they did what? The Pharisees really kicked out a person who was miraculously healed from blindness? They kicked him out? How does that happen? It's because they were thieves and robbers. Who came before Jesus Christ? It's this idea that Those who came before him, it wasn't about a time issue. It was about those who stood before him. My senior year in college, it was uh, finals week. And my buddies and I lived in a house with 10 other guys. And you talk about what that looked like. You can only imagine. But they talked me into going to go buy everybody donuts that night. And so I took off to go buy them donuts. Apparently, after I purchased these donuts, and I use the word apparently in quotes, I was going too fast, according to the police officers. And so they pulled me over, saw the flashing lights, and they said, Sir, do you realize how fast you were going? I said, I have donuts. I don't know. That didn't work. 
And they said, you were going far too fast. Would you please follow me to the police station? And I'm thinking, what is going on? He says, the reason why I need you to follow me to the police station is that you have a Kansas driver's license. And this is Wheaton, Illinois. You need to follow me to the police station. So I followed him to the police station, and while I'm driving there, I'm thinking, I think I get one phone call. (laughs) Who am I going to call? So I get to the police station. They explain the situation to me. They say, because you were driving so what they considered recklessly, I just considered it, I have donuts. I got hungry guys. I want to take care of them. That didn't work either. And he proceeded to say, well, you can go now, but you need to appear in court in three weeks. And so I appeared in court three weeks later, and the judge says my name is John Edward Bosick Jr. here, and I said, I sure am, walked up. I was all excited. I'm going, this is going to be really cool. We're going to have a little dialogue. I'm going to be able to talk to him about the donuts. The judge looks at me and says, how do you plead? Guilty. says, okay, next case. I'm going, wait, I want my time in the sun right now. Isn't this people's court where we can go back and forth? But why I'm sharing that with you is what Jesus Christ is talking about. Those who stood before him, those who were before him, they were standing before him. He is the gate. He is the one that stands before them and says, this is good or this is not good. It's not about a time situation. It's about a spatial thing that Jesus Christ is addressing those who stand before him. One day, all of us will stand before God. The question is going to be, will we go through the gate of Jesus Christ or not? Jesus continues on and he says this in verse in verse 9, he says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. What's the gate? What does it look like? What's going on here? Well, one of the things that happens in, in, the, in the shepherding arena of, of life was that if they were, if it was summertime, they took the sheep out into, out, out, outside of the village and let them roam around, and outside in the outside on the hills, they would have different walls put up, but in every single wall there was a gap. It was a gap there so that the sheep could enter into this area and have pasture and enjoy themselves. And what ends up happening is, as at the end of the night, the shepherd would speak, and they would pay attention to his voice, and they would follow his voice, and they would follow it into this sheepfold, is what it was called. And they would enter through this this area, this gap. And while they're entering through that gap, the, the shepherd would take the time to look at every single shepherd and see if it was injured, see if it needed some salve, see what it would need, and then it would let it pass through so that it could go in and enjoy the pasture. And then at night, the shepherd became the gate. He laid it down. The gate lays down in this space where all the sheep entered in. And as the shepherd lays down, he becomes this gate, and and he knows who comes in, and he knows who's going to go out. He lays there for the entire night, because remember, sheep are not very smart. 
they can't get over the wall, so they're going to keep looking for a place to get out. Well, the problem with them trying to get out is that they're going to have to step over the gate, that gate being the shepherd. Now, if a shepherd is, if, if a sheep is trying to get out, the gate, the, the gate, the shepherd will simply stand up and take that sheep back in to the fold so they can experience the abundance of the pasture that's right in front of them. The gate is in the middle of the action. When Jesus Christ claims that he is the gate, what he's saying is, I know what's going on in your life. I also know what's going on outside of your life. I'm here to take care of you. I'm here to be active. I'm here to be involved with you. We simply think of a door or a gate as an inanimate thing, but yet Jesus Christ, when he's talking about the gate, he's talking about action. He's talking about being involved. He's talking about protecting and preventing. That's the way he operates. One Memorial Day weekend a few years ago, a Christ-following dentist by the name of Dr. James Reddick took his 12-year-old daughter and 11-year-old son up Mount Rainier. Dr. Reddick had incredible reviews as a dentist. He was, he was known for his incredible care and his incredible compassion for, for, uh, for his patients that came in. And so they ascended Mount Rainier and his daughter and son had never been up Mount Rainier before. But he had many a time. And he wanted them to enjoy the grandeur of the views. He wanted them to enjoy themselves and see God's beauty before them. Everything started off really, really well. They made it to the top and on their way down, a storm came up suddenly. A storm with hurricane force winds, and it brought snow with it. It was a blinding whiteout. And in the midst of this whiteout, Dr. James Reddick realized that he and his family, he and his children, were in serious trouble. And so he did what only he knew how to do, and he began to dig a trench, and he, it was called a snow tent. And he dug in there and he made sure everything was okay inside that tent. And then he broke out the sleeping bags for his, for his son and for his daughter. And he made sure that they were okay. And he said, we're going to be okay. And he goes and he puts a flap and he takes some, some nylon or whatever, a piece of nylon and puts it on this flap, on this opening where, where, uh, where they entered. But what he ended up noticing was this, was that every single time the wind blew, it blew the flap away. And so Dr. James Reddick made this decision. The only way my children will survive is if I cover up that opening with myself. In essence, becoming a gate. And so Dr. James Reddick got a, got a piece of material that would cover the thing, and then he laid on top of it. His daughter and son said, Dad, you're going to be okay. He said, I'm going to be fine. You guys are going to be okay. I need to do this so that we can make it through the night. Little did Sharon and David realize that those were the last words they'd ever hear from their father. Two days later, a rescue team was looking for the Reddick family. 
and they saw the corner of a backpack in this mound of snow. They got all excited. They were thrilled that, that they had finally found this family because as they kept digging, they saw the name on the backpack and it said Reddick. They continued working through this snow. They continued hoping that they would find the family. And all of a sudden they heard Sharon and David screaming, we're in here, we're in here, we're in here. And they dug all the faster. And they made it to that opening. And as they made it to the opening, they had to move away the frozen body of Dr. James Reddick. The man who became a gate to protect his children from the forces that were outside. The man who became a gate to protect his children so that they would stay warm with one another inside this tent. The gate is always in the middle of the action. Jesus Christ is always in the middle of the action. No matter what's going on in your life right now, He's the gate. He's in the middle of the action. Then Jesus says this in verse 10. He says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And that's precisely what was going on here. In essence, Jesus Christ is saying, You have a decision to make. It's either one way or the other. You make that call. You can continue to follow after the ways of those who've come before me, these Pharisees, and you continue to follow after their way, and you will realize this, because Jesus Christ does not mix words. He says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He doesn't say that the Pharisees are looking out for your well-being. What he says is that they are here to steal, kill, and destroy. There are different theologies out there that want you to think that they're right on the money, but they're only there to steal, kill, and destroy. And they promise you so much, and they deliver so little. One thing that we know about sin, one thing that I've observed about sin, and not only in my life but in the lives of others, is that sin always takes away life. It never gives life. So I ask you right now, who's leading your life? Are they thieves and robbers? Are they leading you into places where your life is being taken from you, where your life is being destroyed in the process? Because Jesus Christ knows what's going on and Jesus Christ says this, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The gate has come. The gate has come to help you, to help all of us and He is the one who laid it down. The full life comes because Jesus Christ laid His life down just as a gate does. He offers all of us a life unlike any other. At the beginning of the service, I mentioned various details about Disneyland and about how you need to go through the gate. Disneyland claims that they have, well, doesn't just claim, Disneyland has 50 certified scuba divers as part of their work crew. Jesus Christ not only created the water that they swim in, He also walked on that water one day. 
Disneyland claims that the Lord purchases 500 dustpans a year. Jesus Christ took a towel and a basin one night and wiped the dust off of his apostles' feet. Disneyland has 4.1 million pounds of cardboard recycled each year. Jesus Christ does not recycle people's lives. Jesus Christ restores people's lives. Disneyland goes through 3.2 million servings of ice cream each and every year. Jesus Christ took five loaves and two fish and fed over 10,000 people at one moment. Disneyland has more than 600 million people visited since 1955. Jesus Christ doesn't invite people for a visit. Jesus Christ invites them to stay with him for eternity. Disneyland has more than 500 types of professions and skills represented each and every day. Jesus Christ has gifted each and every one of us so that we can help others experience a Savior who will change their lives not just for a day, but forever. Disneyland has an operating cost of $3.25 million a day to provide an experience at the happiest place on earth. But Jesus Christ laid down his life to provide an abundant life for all who will turn to him. Disneyland has an admission price of about $100 for one day at their place. Jesus Christ has an admission price that has already been paid because he is the gate who laid down his life. And through his life, death, and resurrection, the experience you have with Jesus doesn't last for one day. It lasts for eternity at no cost to you. Jesus Christ is the gate. He invites you today, this morning, to enter through that gate to enter into this abundant life that others may promise, but they can't deliver. He promises, and He always delivers. Will you enter through that gate today? Father, we pray. We pray that we would pay attention to our incredible need for your protection and for your being involved in the middle of the action in our lives. Lord, we have a number of thieves in our lives, thieves of anxiety and worry and fear and comparing ourselves to others, thinking that we're not good enough, thinking that perhaps we don't need anyone else. And yet you say to us that you came to give us life and to give us an abundant life. And and Lord, whatever our anxieties, our fears, whatever they may be, these thieves, we come to you now and ask that you'd help us remember that you're in the middle of the action with us. And that we would turn to you so that we can have an abundant life an abundant life that cost you everything and cost us nothing. Oh, Father, help us remember, and not only remember, but turn to Jesus Christ 
the gate through whom we enter into life. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand now as we sing one more song and reflect on these words that we've heard this morning, we've sung about this morning, and uh, that we would sing with great passion and zest.